This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. So many times our patients say, I just am reassured that somebody's there. Somebody knows that I'm starting to deteriorate before I even know it. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Duran, and today I'm lucky enough to have Justin Cassidy from SG2, who leads our medicine and surgery service line, as well as much of our work with our AMC members. Justin and I are going to be interviewing Kathy Martinez from FHM in Northwest Illinois. We want to learn more about their integrated approach to care transition and how they've used remote patient monitoring technology as one of the helpful tools for their care teams to get the data they need to be proactive and manage patients. We've heard and we know the promise of this technology, but they have a really exciting story to tell about how they've made it real and made it work at their independent hospital. I'm thrilled and excited to hear their story, and I know you will be too. Kathy, can you start by giving us a quick introduction to yourself, your role, and a little bit about FHN? Sure. Thank you very much. Kathy Martinez, I'm the Chief Operating Officer, Chief Nursing Officer here. FHN was located in the northwest corner of Illinois. We're an independent community hospital. We serve five different counties, and that equates to about 90,000 plus lives. Our region includes not only rural communities, but also a more suburban type feel. So we really have a diverse population that we serve which contributes to varying challenges as well as success stories throughout our region. Excellent. Kathy, in SG2, the need for chronic care services is really clear for our members, and our inpatient chronic disease forecast is growing at 10% over the next decade. The case for better management of care transitions for this traditionally very hard to engage and manage population is really clear, but you know, SG2 members often struggle with making the business case or the ROI for these sorts of services. Trevor and I are really curious, How did you get your start and how did you think about that ROI? One of the things that first came to us was really a slide deck that we saw from the American Hospital Association that mentioned the impact of social determinants of health. And it gave us a reality check. Only 20% of that health and well-being of our population is related to the services that we provide. And 80% of it is really that physical environment, social determinants and behavioral factors. That made us take a look at our own organization in a very different manner, as well as our patient population. Then we looked at our community health needs assessment. And as a nonprofit hospital, that requirement prompted us to do some action. We didn't want it to be just a check mark. We wanted to be able to have some deliverables. So we looked at the healthcare professional shortage in our area. We looked at the access, the barriers to healthcare, to healthcare insurance. And then we also saw a pattern of various families seeking primary care in the emergency room versus in the primary care office setting. And we realized that we had to put together that ROI in a very precarious way because it really was more about cost avoidance than income and revenue. It really became a very different way of thinking, especially in discussions with our chief financial officer as to this business proposal. It really came back to how are we going to save costs while also delivering on that triple aim of the right care at the right place at the right time. 
That's excellent to hear, Kathy. And switching focus from that financial piece to the technology itself. Many think about technology as a bit of a panacea, but it seems like we're kind of entering an era where it's more about how folks are engaging with the technology, this socio-technological piece of how folks are essentially managing and reading that data. How do you build that data competency and who kind of manages the data at FHN? Data management is so huge right now because we're all inundated with numbers and trying to figure out what the right numbers are that we want to chase and focus energy on. We're lucky enough to have a vendor partner with our remote patient monitoring. And through that, vendor really identified some of the key areas of how we can improve processes, how we can literally get our best bang for our buck. How can we make the most difference in our patient care? We've been able to integrate our remote patient monitoring data directly into our electronic health record, and that's been key. That allows our providers to see that data. It allows our care team, including our complex care managers, to see that data, to be able to respond to alerts that heart failure patients' weight goes up 10 pounds overnight. There's a conversation that can be had real time versus waiting for that patient to show up in the emergency room in stressed out heart failure. The key has really been that integration into our EHR. Our primary responders to those data alerts and some of that connection back to our patients is really our complex care managers, which is a group of individuals that we've developed over the last five years in our integrated care transitions model. I want to hear more about the team members and the complex care managers. But first, I know that you started this program prior to COVID-19 pandemic focused on heart failure patients and others, and then you were able to pivot to focus on COVID patients. What did that experience over the last year and a half teach you about how you may be able to grow this program to other disease types, other patient populations in the future? What our program did from the remote patient monitoring perspective is it really changed our thought process of how that data can be used. When we first engaged with the vendor and with the program, our thought was management of disease processes. So it became very much that management of that heart failure patient, that COPD patient. COVID-19 made us do a little bit of a pivot in that acute management now. So we are now using our remote patient monitoring either as that patient was discharged from the emergency room to prevent that hospitalization, that return to the emergency room, or we were using it for those patients that were discharged that we knew had a higher chance of coming back in because when they got home, they were going to get scared. They were still scared to be at home either fresh off of oxygen or still short of breath. And as especially as we saw that long hauler syndrome, this program really allowed us to keep those patients with high contact, high connection in their homes, again, getting the care that they needed, but also having that feeling of being monitored. So many times our patients say, I just am reassured that somebody's there. Somebody knows that I'm starting to deteriorate before I even know it. Kathy, that's an incredible story. And maybe pivot back to the workforce considerations. You mentioned those complex care managers early, and we know that they were absolutely essential to the success of your program. But what skills do you look for in recruiting those individuals? And what does their day-to-day look like? Our complex care managers are part of our integrated care transitions team. 
what we've done at FHN is really take our care transitions all the way from prevention of disease to complex care to supportive slash palliative care all the way to hospice and put it under one umbrella, being leadership as well as a team. That transition from one care setting to another is seamless, which has really reduced our readmission rate, our mortality rate, and has improved our patient outcomes over the past few years. But our complex care managers, when we talk about that return on investment, that was one of the convincing points that I had to have a strong conversation with not only our CFO, but our CEO as to we need to invest in six to eight new FTEs at a time when we're trying to figure out how to better our workforce and make a more global impact. We needed more people on the street. And so we transitioned some of our current registered nurses as well as hired some additional registered nurses into that program. These are individuals who are trained in behavioral interviewing and various resource management. They work alongside with social workers and case managers, but they are individuals and they're nurses that are specific for patients that have been identified as complex care. So due to the number of comorbidities, the times that we see the familiar faces in the emergency room, those patients that are calling our providers' offices multiple times looking for answers, because many times it's resources that they need. It's not necessarily the medical care that they need at that time. We've really developed a platform of resources for these individuals that they use on a daily basis. They do home visits, they do phone calls, they do hospital visits. They're very much an integrated part. They actually attend primary care appointments with some of these patients to make sure that the patient is heard and understands a plan for their care. That's so fantastic. And I think, Kathy, another piece of the puzzle in regards to workforce and the idea of that many folks in the community might be experiencing detrimental social determinants of health, any sort of workforce workarounds that you have to deliver culturally competent care? We've been focusing a lot on community liaisons and really trying to figure out the best approach for someone who has similar experiences. We all know that if I can talk to somebody who has had the same type of experience I have had or had the same challenges, I'm probably going to relate to them as a patient much better than someone that is very diverse from me and coming in and trying to either teach me a different way of living that isn't accepted culturally or to change my behaviors. Our community liaison program is still developing. We still have a lot of work to do, but we've had a lot of success, especially even with behavioral health patients of here's somebody who has encountered some of the same struggles. They understand you. They know you. And we've been able to see a difference in behaviors as well as changes in just the approach. We have very different cultural events related to this. And I think COVID-19 really escalated some of that. And it was really important to have those community liaisons at that time. One of the groups of members that I hear about thinking about the possibility of remote patient monitoring are offering some of our systems serving more rural geographies. And just like many other digital health solutions, the value proposition there seems pretty intuitive, but at the same time, there are the biggest logistical hurdles around broadband, digital divide, et cetera. How'd you manage around those hurdles as this program expanded and as you wanted to reach further outside of your core market? That was one of the largest learning opportunities we had when we started our remote patient monitoring because we assumed that broadband was going to be there in some of those very rural areas. And so it wasn't until we went to plug in equipment and realized we weren't getting any data from some of these patients that we were scratching our head going, well, what's the matter? And then the patient would say, 
no, I don't have internet or I don't have this or I don't have whatever. Or they'd say, well, we only get it when the sun is shining and when it's snowing in Illinois, we don't have a connection. So we've worked in a couple different manners. Our vendor has been able to provide us some different opportunities to connect to either Bluetooth or that broadband. There's a variety of approaches that we've used. We've also worked with some of our public agencies like libraries, our medical offices. So if a patient can't necessarily transmit data from their home, we get them to another place that we can connect with them and get that data transmission. One of the things that we've also worked closely with is trying to secure some grants, whether that be from a more global perspective of increasing that broadband or also different hotspot opportunities. So providing patients with some of those hotspots that gives them that connection that they need just so that we can connect back and forth and we get that data pull so that we're able to provide the same level of service, whether you're out in the farthest rural part of this area that we provide or you're sitting right next to the hospital setting. Often I also hear that when serving high-risk populations, one of the logical next steps is how do you feel like you have a warm handoff to other community-based organizations, but then also how do primary care providers know that they have some level of a closed-loop referral system and they can see if patients are following up on recommendations to go to the food bank as one example. Were you able to do that as part of this program? We did this a couple of years ago when we established what's called our Connect the Dots program, and that's our Doors of Team Support. And really what we did is extended the olive branch out to our community agencies. Serving five different counties, there's a lot of different agencies with a lot of repeated services, but maybe services that nobody was aware of. We put everybody around a table and threw out there that we need your help. We can't do this on our own. We need our partners to help us. We're trying to improve the health of our communities, whether that's prevention of disease or management of disease, even all the way down to advanced directives. How do we care for those who are in the process of dying? And our community agencies looked at us and basically said, well, we've been waiting for you to take a lead on this. We had some very down-to-earth discussions about here's what we need from each other and how can we improve the community itself. I think we all have the realization that if we work together, we're going to have a much more productive community on all different levels. If we can improve the health of our community, we know it has an impact on the economy. We know that our workforce in the area is improved. It has that domino effect. So we've identified these partners. We have active engagements with them. We have routine meetings. Our complex care managers reach out on average to about 56 agencies a day, each one of them connecting our patients to these different agencies, whether it be from the food bank to getting a patient to transportation. Again, rural area, we struggle with our transportation each and every day. Sometimes it's a matter of connecting somebody with an agency and maybe they have a family member who happens to be home that can offer to take somebody to an appointment. It's those little connections that are making a difference in our community. That's so powerful. I've had the privilege of going to FHN. I've seen the way your associates at the front door interact with people coming in. I have faith that you could pull off something like this because I've seen the way your culture kind of has permeated every level of the organization. Give some lessons learned tips that you wish you knew at the start of the program that others can think about as they try to put the pieces in place to have as much success as you had in an integrated care program like this? I'm a visionary person, so I like to dream big. In order for this program to work, I had to dream big and then go back to how we were going to make it happen. I know that there were people who were in back of me saying, you're never going to get this to work. You're never going to see the success that we need to. 
We've had some bumps along the road. We tried a mobile integrated health program with a community paramedic. That didn't work because we had some challenges as to where the fire department actually allowed that mobile integrated paramedic to go, and it wasn't really our service area. So we've had projects that we've started and we've stopped. I think the impact is if you can improve the transition of care for your patients, that warm handoff of that patient from one place of care to another is so critical. We've seen it. Our overall readmission rate is less than 6% right now. We haven't had that in years. And when I really look at it and I think about the challenges COVID-19 has brought us, and that includes readmissions for COVID-19, that really has an impact. We've now taken it more with a focus on mortality as well. So I think it's dreaming big and keeping at it because it's taken us years to get to where we're at right now. This has been excellent, Kathy. Just hearing about all of the different sort of programs that sort of wrap around. Do you think that being a smaller program actually worked to your advantage as you started developing these services in terms of communicating between team members? I do think being a smaller organization, we're used to wearing multiple hats. I turn my hat 15 times a day and try to figure out which one I'm going to be and and who I want to be today. Being a smaller organization has definitely helped us. One of the things that it took us to realize, too, is in our community, within our service area, we are the largest employer, which at first you think, oh, wow, that's really cool. And then you think, oh, no, that's not so cool because that really is a reflection of the economy of our area. As the largest employer, one of the things when we first started our meetings with our DOTS program, people kept saying really to my face, well, you have the money, you're the healthcare organization, you're the largest employer. We had to break down a lot of those barriers. And I think it was being humble enough to go out there and say to everybody, we need your help. We can't do it on our own. That really was a learning lesson for all of us because it's something we don't necessarily want to do, especially as administrators. You don't want to go out and say, well, our organization needs you to help us. Again, just having some of those different areas of focus. We also have a CEO who is very community focused, which helps us as we reach out to the community for their assistance. Kathy, have employers in the market, payers, potential partner health systems latched on to your success in this program as proof that you could do more together, a proof that you could take on risk, a proof that you could help manage their populations? To an extent. And I will say a lot of our companies locally, our businesses locally with employees have larger health plans. So the Blue Crosses of the world don't necessarily realize the work that's being done here. They realize their employees have better health outcomes. I think our community does realize that. And we have, in the last year, started to work with some of our local health competitors because we know that putting our efforts together is going to improve. It's really trying to glean what the benefits of their programs are versus the benefits of ours and how do we make it work together. The community sees it especially in the Freeport proper area. It's just translating it into what that means for the community. They see the work that we're doing, and I definitely know our community agencies are just very thankful that we keep bringing people together because there's just knowledge and there's understanding and they're able to resource people to one to another as well. We could keep asking about this because it's fascinating and it's really, truly an exciting example that I know many of our listeners are going to hope they can get there, even if it's not quick. Kathy, thank you so much for your service, your humility. We're so inspired by your story. Thanks for asking. Yeah, Kathy, thanks for sharing your story here on SG2 Perspectives. I know our listeners will love it, and we hope to have you back again soon. Track your progress. 
this has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast on Vizian's Medical Leadership Channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.